在。Hello and welcome to Writer Mother Monster. I'm your host, Lara Ehrlich, and our guests tonight are Emily Perez and Nancy Reddy, co-editors of The Long Devotion. Thank you all for tuning in and please chat with us during the interview. Your comments will appear in our broadcast studio and we'll weave them into our conversation. I also want to thank this episode's sponsor, the University of Georgia Press. Sponsors and patrons help make this show possible. So if you enjoy this episode or if you're a longtime listener, please consider becoming a patron or patroness to help keep the podcast going. You can find more information on writermothermonster.com. Now I'm excited to introduce Emily and Nancy. Their book, The Long Devotion, is a collection of poems, essays, and writing prompts that celebrates motherhood and creates a space, as poet Molly Spencer has written, to tell an unlovely truth about family life and not to have to take it back. Emily Perez is an English and Gender Studies instructor and grade-level dean at Colorado Academy. She is the author of What Flies Want, winner of the Iowa Prize, House of Sugar, House of Stone, and the chapbooks Backyard Migration Route and Made and Unmade. She lives in Denver, Colorado, and has two children ages 9 and 11. She describes writer motherhood in three words as useful and disruptive. Nancy Reddy is an associate professor of writing in first-year studies at Stockton University. She's the author of Pocket Universe, Double Jinx, a 2014 winner of the National Poetry Series, and the chapbook Acadia, wait, Acadiana, which I should have practiced in advance and probably just mispronounced. She lives in Collingswood, New Jersey, and has two children ages six and eight, and describes writer motherhood in three words as wild, joyous, and ever-changing. Now, please join me in welcoming Emily and Nancy. Hello. Hey, hi. Hi, I'm sorry I just butchered the title of your of your book. I should have yeah, named it something pronounce. simpler because no one ever, yeah. <laughs> pronounce it for us so we'll know. I say Acadiana. I think the people who are actually from South Louisiana um, say it differently, but that's what I say. Okay. Well, that's good. Thank you. (laughs) So first, hi and welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on the show and for your book, which I think gives hope and solidarity to so many other writer mothers, not just poets, writer mothers in general. So thank you. Yeah. So start just by telling me about the book, about the reason behind the collection. Where did this idea come from? Do you want to start, Nancy? Sure. So we, Emily and I, um, met through the Internet somehow. Yeah. Um, and then um, <laughs> as all good relationships. Begin well, and it's it. one of those things where I'm like, OK, Twitter is evil, but also it's brought like a lot of amazing writers into my life. And I am really grateful for that. Um, so we connected somehow online um, and then had this idea that we wanted to put together a panel um, about writing and motherhood. And I think that first panel was titled like writing slash motherhood, difficulty, ambivalence and joy, because we felt like we wanted to capture like a pretty wide range of emotions and experiences. And so we did that in 2018 in Tampa 
with um, Chanda Feldman, Chelsea Rathburn, and Carolina Ebed. And we had, it was like the Thursday first thing panel, like the Thursday 9 a.m. panel that you always think, like, is anybody going to get up for this? And we had a really packed room and, like, a great reading and a great conversation. And people kept stopping us, like, in the book fair and other places, kind of all conference after that to talk about it. And we felt like, oh, this is, like, this is a thing that people are excited about, that we want there to be more of. Um, you know, we tried in our panel and in the conversation to capture kind of a range of experiences of mothering, but we also knew there was a lot more we hadn't touched on at all. Um, and so I think by the end of the conference, uh, we were sitting having coffee and I said, like, we should make a book. And Emily was like, that sounds great. And we were like, okay, but how do we make a book? Um, because it's a different kind of project than either of us had done. You know, we both knew something about how to publish a collection of poetry, but an anthology is a pretty different project. Um, so over the course of the last, what, four years, Emily, we um, learned how to do it, which has been amazing. And here it is. So tell yeah. me a little bit about the authors um, who you tapped to participate. Do you want to tackle that, Emily? Yeah, I'll uh, feel free to fill in anything I miss. I, I'd say there was a bit of a chicken egg. Like we, we wanted both the chicken and the egg, uh, to use a, you know, a bad birth metaphor. But anyway, we, um, at first kind of just started with, Oh, I love this poem. I love this poem. I love this poem. Um, and then we started trying to think strategically. Mm-hmm. Um, we had already asked the people who were on our panel and they had said yes. And we had asked a few other people who we knew well, like, would you be interested in this? Um, but we realized if we were going to start soliciting strangers on the internet in earnest, um, we needed to have we needed to have a, an appearance of legitimacy. Like we knew, like we knew what we were doing and, and like this could actually be something. Um, and I'm not a hundred percent sure where our, our like legitimacy really began. Um, but we, we just really like put ourselves out there and asked a few, a few key people whether they would sign on to the project. And then I think once we got that momentum, then things just kept going from there. And then in terms of how we, how the book kind of got rounded out, once we, I'd say once we had about a third of our eventual collection, so maybe we were at about 20 poems or so, we really started, uh, categorizing things like looking at things thematically looking at things um by um like what's the identity of the author um what audience you know who who are audiences this might draw um where like what what experience of motherhood or even non-motherhood mm-hmm. does this speak to um so kind of looking at like what do we have and what are we missing and of course it's always hard to know what you're missing because Mm -hmm. there's a reason you were missing it to begin with. Um, So also just soliciting feedback from other people on when you look at this, what are we missing? Um, What else, you know, where else do we need to look? And then as we identified areas that we had not covered, then we just did a lot of research, um, just checking out anthologies and journals, combing the internet, um, following certain authors to see, did they have, 
poems about motherhood? And if so, could we, you know, could we work those into the journal? So that part was really exciting, um, identifying what we really wanted and didn't yet have and then and then seeing if we could find those things. Yeah. And I would just add, I mean, one of the things that we were really hoping to do with this book was to um, like broaden, broaden the book beyond a lot of what existed at that point in terms of um, kind of writing about mothering. And it is one thing that I think is very different now, actually, or it feels different to me in 2022 than it did in 2018 when we started working or 2013 when I had my first kid. Um, but there were so many aspects of the experience that felt really underrepresented. Mm-hmm. Um, and it definitely, I think all, for me, and I think you would say this too, Emily, was also an exercise in, in trying to think about my own blind spots or my own gaps. Like what were the, what are the things that I haven't experienced and so didn't know were missing? Mm-hmm. Um, and we were lucky at a number of places to have contributors say mm-hmm. like, Hey, you should, um, like look at this poet. Or you're missing this thing, or you need to include this other thing, and I really um, am so grateful for that. And I also think for anyone who's thinking about doing an anthology, it's so vital to have a partner because I think so much of that, like you need another person, mm-hmm. um, it for so many reasons. But one of them, I think, is just to to make sure that you always have more than one perspective on the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, let's talk about the business. <clears throat> excuse me, of putting together the anthology. So. Once you came up with the idea and you established your legitimacy, tell me about the actual publishing process. Like, at what point did you find a publisher and, you know, the collection actually became a real thing? Yeah, Um, I think we had we had narrowed down to a few. We put out sort of like soft requests, I think, in a few places to see, like, do you publish anthologies? Um, You know, we had a we had a list of presses that we we thought might be interested and then other presses we weren't sure would they take on this kind of project. So there was one AWP that I would call our stalking AWP. And I don't remember which one that was. I just remember going to certain panels where like certain press editors would be and then trying to kind of like, you know, wheel into a conversation about, Hey, so where are you all with anthologies and and that kind of thing. And so I, we came out of that with with a sense of a handful of presses that might actually publish this anthology if we proposed it to them in a formal way. Um, and so then it was, you know, going to the press websites, looking at their requirements, putting together an anthology proposal. Um, and my my sister has an MBA. And so she she was kind of our CEO. She helped us with uh the proposal language and, and just, you know, how do you pitch something? How do you do the market research, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so pulled together a book proposal it was, you know, slightly different depending on the different presses requirements. Um, and then I think, did we send it out? I think we sent it out three places, three that I can remember. Um, all, all of whom were very mm-hmm. kind to us. So even, even when we got rejected, it was in, in just the most gracious way. Um, one press saying like, we're just not doing this kind of project right now. Another press saying, you know, we love your project, but no. <laughs> and then, um, and then, we, and then UGA said yes. And yeah. that was awesome. And I think the thing that we really couldn't have anticipated before we got much farther into the project is really just how big an anthology project is like this. 
um, not just for us in terms of doing the work of getting in touch with contributors and, um, you know, like collecting mailing addresses and just like so much organizational stuff, especially we have, I think, 65 contributors in the book. Does that sound right? So slightly um, more than that, but yeah, maybe more than that. Maybe mm-hmm. my, yeah. So it's just like, on, we knew it was a lot of work for us, but we were really passionate about it and committed and like ready to take that on. What um, I don't think either of us realized was how much work it also was for a press yeah. um, to take it on. I mean, we got the most um, like detailed, thoughtful copy editing, mm-hmm. um, which is really, I mean, that many different contributors with poems, formatted all kinds of different ways. I mean, Joy Katz's poem has Hebrew in it. Um, like, like a lot of stuff that just kind of typographically was challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just feel really lucky that UGA yeah. took on this project. Um, and they've been such great partners um, in this really everywhere from like our editor to the copy editor to like all of the marketing people. And, um, it's been and, such a good home. Yeah, and helping us navigate things that were ours to navigate, but that they gave us a lot of guidance on like getting permissions and the kinds of contract language to send out and just things that we had no experience with. Um, they were really, no question was too, too dumb for them. You know, they, they took our <laughs> questions on and, and gave us the guidance we needed. So that was, really wonderful yeah I think it's really given me an appreciation between working with UGA and then working with LSU for my own new book um and I know you're working with the university press as well Emily with what flies want um for just like the incredible people who work at university presses they're Mm -hmm. oftentimes such small operations Mm -hmm. and people just doing so much and so many different kinds of work but Mm -hmm. doing it really with like such professionalism and care like it's yeah it's been a great experience with UGA Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I'll put their banner back up again for a second. <laughs> Not the whole time. And for anybody listening after the fact to the podcast, we are putting up the logo yeah. for University of Georgia Press on the screen. And I will just say while the while the logo is up, I will say that one yeah. thing that drew us to UGA in the first place um, was also that they had published books of poetry we really love. Mm-hmm. They had published, um, I think, two of Chelsea Rathburn's mm-hmm. or Chelsea um, Jingman's book at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, they had published a uh, um I think they're really beautiful. Camille Dungy's. uh, Oh yeah, Black Black Nature. Nature. Yeah, so there were. We felt like, yeah, this is we we trust the judgment here, and we'd be really proud to have Mm -hmm. our book like you know on a shelf next to theirs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and I want to get into both of your work, um, your there we go, individual work, uh, momentarily. But first, let's talk about um, the collection and the the diversity of the, uh, not just the work and the poems, but of the writers and the poets. So I know that's something that you mentioned to me was really important to you, that you find not just a diversity of experiences and backgrounds, but of voices and, mm-hmm. and just inclusivity. Yeah, and aesthetics also. Aesthetics, yeah. Yeah. So tell me more about that. Why, let's start with diversity of um, backgrounds and race and ethnicity and and sort of the makeup of the people that you that you um, collected there is the question why was that important to us or yeah. um i mean yeah it's I, too i mean you know if you can't see us all we're three white ladies yeah <laughs> yeah so why is um, that important I mean, I mean, one of them is that it just was a big gap like if you go yeah. in and you do actual counting um of of any of the kind of previous books on mothering and writing, um, some of which I really admire, um, but they're exceptionally white. 
mm-hmm. um, usually straight and married and middle class. Like mm-hmm. we were trying to diversity along a lot of lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and we also, feel like this is not. Yeah. Straight, married, white, uh, middle class, also healthy usually. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it, whether birth had been complicated or not, or whether a birth had been preceded by miscarriage or abortion, all you saw in those works was, you know, the, the family after birth, like an, an assumed narrative of like, this is all planned and this is how it is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there were just a lot of gaps in what, in what we saw was out there. Um, and I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I'll say, you know, as a, so I, I am a white, a white presenting person and my mom is white. My dad's Mexican American. Um, I grew up on the border of Texas and Mexico and I never read a book by, I I never read a book by a Latinx author until I got to college Um, and and to and and didn't even realize that until I got to college. And and so, you know, to have grown up in this really, really um, rich history, but to have perceived it as not having writers, um, I just felt like like I was robbed and now and you know and now as an adult I know so many authors who live where I grew up and have been writing there forever or you know are part of a long lineage of writers who've lived there but they just weren't they just weren't commercially available when I was growing up and so so I think for me as a as a teacher um, that's been a big part of my my push as an English teacher is you know who are the voices I'm exposing my students to and are they seeing themselves in the curriculum? And so I think the same is just absolutely true for an anthology is, you know, how are people seeing themselves or even if they're seeing someone else, how are people seeing other people um, in in a collection and, and just breaking apart the idea that there's some monolithic narrative of motherhood? And that, I mean, and that's part of what I really wanted to add also is that I think so often when we talk about diversity, maybe especially in like literary and educational spaces, it's positioned as like, it's a good thing for like minorities or non-white people or something like, yeah, exactly. Right. And I can see you shaking your head. And I really think like in, in mothering, especially um, I have learned so much from the work of, I think, especially black mothers. I think a lot about and people who are watching this later won't be able to see it. But this um, this book, Danny McLean's um, We Live for the We, which is about the political power of black motherhood. Um, and there's a great um, quote in the beginning of it where she she quotes a, a black mother who's an activist who says basically like other people should learn from us. Like we have a lot to offer. And I think that has been really true in my own life as well. Um that like the more that we hear about each other's experiences, mm-hmm. the more that we can understand um, not just like trauma and other kinds of things, but also possibilities. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I feel like mm-hmm. I've learned a lot about like joy and love and tenderness mm-hmm. and all kinds of wonderful things um, from reading about and being part of the experiences of people who, um, you know, don't share my background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about your backgrounds now. Let's move into there. So, um, who wants to start? Tell us a little bit about um, 
Let's start with your experience of motherhood, since we're we're talking about the gaps and the and the the backgrounds of your writers. What were your own motherhood or origin stories? I can start because I have been binge listening to Writer Mother Monster mm-hmm. for the past several days. So there are certain questions I've been asking myself after <laughs> after hearing you ask other okay. writers. Um, so this is one I've been thinking about. So uh, you often ask writers, like, did you know you wanted to be a mother? And mm-hmm. I, I can say so I grew up um, in a family of six. Um, so four siblings. I'm the third. Um, my younger brother and I were accidents. We were, uh, informed of that early on. Um, the, but, uh, so I grew up in a big family or by today's standards, a big family though on my dad's side. Um, I mean, he, his family of origin was quite small because my grandmother had many, many miscarriages. Um, Mm -hmm. but her family and my grandfather's family were both large families, uh, like, 10 kids, 13 kids, that kind of thing. So, and we grew up in the area where my dad's family grew up. So I had just a huge extended family there. Um, and so family was just such a part of my life. It, it wasn't really a question um, whether or not I wanted a family. Like I, I always wanted a family, but somehow that question was a little different from like, did I want to be a mother? Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, is there another way to get this? And there is, but, uh, but so I, I always wanted a family. I was never interested in babies. Mm-hmm. And so that was the part of motherhood that scared me the most um, as whether I'd be able to, to like handle that. Um, and my husband, however, always, always, always wanted to be a father. So mm-hmm. there was a, a significant amount of peer pressure in, uh, uh, towards starting a family. Um, and so, and we got married, you know, I was in my early thirties and he was in his late thirties and we started having kids, you know, when I was already of advanced maternal age. Um, so, you know, so it wasn't like, uh, so like I had had a lot of life without having kids. Um, but we knew we wanted to have kids. We knew we probably wanted to have two. Um, and so we did. Uh, they're a little closer in age than we originally planned. The, it took, it took over a year, um, for me to get pregnant with the first one, um, due to some different health complications. And so we just assumed it would take as long to get pregnant with the second one. And that was not the case. <laughs> so um, they're, they're 21 months apart, uh, which actually has been really wonderful because they're, they're very close to each other. So that's kind of my, my mothering origin story. <laughs> you, I connect to a lot of, I connect to a lot of parts of that. I think, um, as you said, like I always assumed that I would have kids. I always assumed that I would have family, but I don't think that like mother was a thing that I ever aspired to. And parks, I think like, I don't know, mom is still kind of a, um, I don't know if I want to say stigmatized as mm-hmm. much as like dismissed identity. Mm-hmm. Like who wants to be a mom? Moms are mm-hmm. boring. They make you like eat your vegetables and go to bed. Um, so, but yeah, I always like, yeah, no, that was just a thing that I knew that I wanted. Um, and I've been, I started dating my husband a long time ago. I was very young and that's like shocking that I, I feel like I got married at 26 and I feel like I don't know now I'm like what was I doing I was like 
child. Um, you know, we're fine. We're happily married. But like, it's a good choice. But like, oh my God, let me do that. Um, but we were together for, for many years after that before, um, before having our kids. And it was like a, like a switch just flipped where I was like, okay, it is time. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Um, it also, I was in graduate school at the time and it also, I think there was still a part of my planner brain that was like, okay, you know, this is, this is the right time. This is the moment. Um, you know, like in terms of my progression through my coursework, um, that it made sense to have a kid. Um, it felt for me very, um, kind of like illicit, if that makes sense. Like I was in academia, um, Nobody that I knew, like there of our grad school friends had kids or mm. even seemed to be thinking about it. Um, no one ever said to me, like, if you have kids, that will prove you're not serious about your writing or your scholarship. But I think there's a lot of that in the air still. Um, and so, and also just like, I don't know, being pregnant, um, makes, people around you aware that you have a body in a way that is uncomfortable oftentimes in academic spaces. Um, And so I think for me, that was a big part of my kind of early motherhood was this sense that I was like sneaking into something like I never, I didn't really like babysitting. I didn't know what to do with babies. So I was like, I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing, but I am doing this thing. Um, Yeah. And trying to trying to be competent at that in the same way that I had been at other things in my life. And it turns out that babies don't work that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For people who are sort of you guys seem to be similar. We all seem to be similar in that we um, like to be good at what we do Mm -hmm. and we're ambitious. And yeah, babies like there's very little um, that ambition can do when raising like a Mm -hmm little tiny baby like an infant ambition doesn't come into it it's like mm-hmm. survival mode survival right? yeah mm-hmm. we had a um we led a workshop this past weekend um through the um, cooper street workshops at Rutgers camden and we were talking about um, a poem we have in the book by emily moan slate um that i really love called feed i'm trying to find it and she yeah, has a line about ambition it. in it yeah i know i've got my copy too I'm, i should be using the index <laughs> emily um, yeah, here it is. But there's a great that, you know, it's like one of these it's one of the joys of reading um, a poem, I think, with people. Like I've read this poem so many times, um, but in reading it with this group, we ended up talking about ambition and writing and that I really loved. And there's a line. Um, it's about having like a really little baby and being so needed. She has the line. Um, I need. I need the baby to not need me. I never meant to be so needed. Um, but the line that struck me after that is I can't quiet my ambition. Um, I just thought that was, it's, it's such a great line and it's not something I had, um, noticed before in the poem, even though I love the poem, but it, it really resonated with me and with my experience, right. Of like having this baby, um, mm-hmm. who needs you in such a visceral way. And then also having this other part of your, your heart and your brain that wants something so different. Absolutely. Actually, that's a great transition into talking about motherhood and writing. So tell me. Um, let's skip forward a little bit and talk about the panel that you both organized that was the beginning of this anthology. So um, I can imagine what might have led you to put this panel together, but you tell us. Well, you know, it is. I mean, actually, I'm thinking back to what I wrote about for that panel. I mean, Nancy really had the idea for the panel, and I think she can speak for it, but I think she wanted just kind of like, what are these 
different perspectives um, and kind of how do the writing life and the mothering life intersect. Um, and the thing I, I wrote about um, just this question, my first book is really about that question. I wrote it. I started writing it even before I had kids. Um, but I think I was, you know, kind of mentally moving into the place of of thinking about family and having kids. And I was thinking a lot about my family of origin um, and just how how parents abandon their children and realizing that as an ambitious person, part of what I would do would be abandoning my children, which, of course, is the negative way to say modeling self actualization for my children um, but through another lens it could be seen as not being present enough for my children at times that they need me um so um so i i was thinking a lot about ambition and and it's like what is what uh, my my friend uh sasha west wrote a blurb for that book house of sugar house of stone and she said you know can one create and procreate and i thought that was such a nice way of putting it like can these two things happen and you know do you have the time and energy for both and i had and so my my question was you know is mothering the enemy of art and how you know, the idea of the of the endless time to create uh, that a lot of artists say they need um, the time to I I keep referring to a, a colleague of mine who would talk about, you know, sitting in the bathtub for an hour and deciding between this word or that in, you know, in a line of a poem. Um, and I just. Uh, so just thinking like that is never going to be my life ever. Like my life is so chaotic. It's so just busy and loud. And um, and so just wondering, like, wow, have I just ruined it? Like, have I have I like thrown it all over? But at the same time, knowing, of course, I haven't like I'm still doing this thing. It's happening. Um, it's happening in spite of everything. Um and then I rem- I had read this uh, Wallace Stevens collection. Oh no no was it it was William Carlos Williams. Um and and he in it there's in in there's an essay but he had written a letter like refusing um refusing to submit poems to Poetry Magazine. He had been solicited but he's like there's a baby at home now. We don't have a lot of time for writing. And I just I read that long before I had kids but it really stuck with me. That like even this guy couldn't really produce a lot of work when he had young children. And it just gave me hope. Like, okay, we all, you know, we get through it. They get older. Um, and there's there's time, you know, there's there's still time. And so um maybe I'm not getting as much done right now when my kids are very young. Uh that's like at the time of the panel. And now here we are. Six years later, my kids are much older and um, just the rhythms of our lives have changed. And I feel like that's a thing that I really couldn't have um, appreciated when my kids were so little. So the panel was in 2018. So my kids would have been like, I think, three and five then. Mm -hmm. And I think at that point, I felt like I could like come up for air a little bit. Like I was a little bit better rested for the first time Mm -hmm. in years. Like no one was waking up screaming in the middle of the night anymore. Like... Um, I got a little bit of like my brain and my body back. 
Um, but it's still so intense, like there's just the demands. And so I think that I was very much framing the question the way that Emily did, right? Which is like, is, is mothering the enemy of art? Um, and I actually think that's not how I would frame it anymore. Me Part either. Of my own life is different and my mothering is different, but also I feel like I've learned a lot, um, you know, from mothers and other caregivers, um, about how those things can actually really stimulate each other, right? Like, yes. I love that's my kids. My Useful. That? that like my three words. Useful was actually my first word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you, kids. Like you have yeah. I mean, not just because like I love them and they're wonderful, but also like I don't know, they make me see the world differently. Like I wouldn't have written like the book that I had written, like Pocket Universe. And part of it is it is a lot about motherhood, but it's also like the actual like experience of caregiving. But it's also a lot about like how my kids made me um, made me see the world differently right like and I'm so I'm so grateful for that I still am like when we walk to school the stuff that they notice is yep. so different mm-hmm. um they move through the world so differently they ask really good questions um I think like a lot of a lot of pocket universe is about like how um like wondrous but also terrifying the world is mm-hmm. um once there are other people you're like really caregiving for in that intimate way and so I I don't know I'm really I'm grateful for the experience of that of that relationship um in a way that maybe was was hard was hard to be when I was um as exhausted and sleep deprived mm-hmm. and paying for daycare and everything else when we when we started this book oh absolutely and it's um <clears throat> It gives me hope as the mother of a five-year-old to know that, and I've heard this now from other guests, like it doesn't necessarily get easier, but it changes. And that maybe the more self-sufficient the child becomes, the more you have a little, you can like claw back a little bit of that time. I hope. And I think a lot about, I mean, going back to like the idea of like the motherhood origin story, a lot of mine is that I was raised like kind of mostly by a single working mom and like who just always like worked really hard at her job and also like really was there for us. And so I never doubted like that I would be able to work and have kids like um, that was never a question for me. And I'm so grateful for that, for that model. And I think that one of the things that she always really, she always made me really feel like I was a person, um, if that makes sense, rather than a child or an extension of her. Um, and I think that's a real value for me as well, right? Like my kids are people, I'm a person, we all need different things. Sometimes those things oppose and we don't all get what we want. Um, and I think that's important for kids and it definitely is important for parents who have, um, I don't know, any kind of ambition, um, probably for all of us, for our like sense of identity. But I think especially if you have ambition that pulls you away from your kids. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I love that we're, we're using the word ambition and that it's, that this is sort of where the conversation goes. Cause I think anybody listening to this podcast has ambition, right? Mm-hmm. That's why we're struggling with writing and motherhood and the tension sometimes that can exist between them. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I didn't ask you in advance, but if somebody it has their book handy and would like to read one of your pieces that relates to motherhood, this might be a good opportunity. I see Emily's pulling up her book. Yeah. Oh, what are we what are we looking for, Emily? Are we looking for poems and um Oh, do you want us to read our own our own work about motherhood? Feel inspired or something from the lines of like Either or and. 
You know what I would really love to read um, is, so one of the things that we, um, and we are recording this on Thursday, May 5th, so it's just a couple of days after the, um, after Politico mm-hmm. leaked the Supreme Court decision mm-hmm. um, or the draft. We will see what happens with this. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that was very important to us early on is that we talk about a range of mothering experiences and the abortion be concerned can be included mm-hmm. in that, obviously, yeah. um, because it is a part of like reproductive life. Um, and so one thing that we definitely made care to include um, were poems that had abortions in them. And we have a really beautiful poem um, by Lynn Melnick. This mm-hmm. is from her book, um, Landscape with Sex and Violence. Um, from Yes, Yes. Um, and so I'll read her, I'll read Wait. her poem and you can maybe read right. another poem. I'm going to view the screen for a second and then we'll all reconvene. So here you okay. go, Nancy. Take it away. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so this is a poem by Lynn Melnick. Um, it's in The Long Devotion and it's also in her book, um, Landscape with Sex and Violence. And the poem is titled Landscape with Clinic and Oracle. Maybe you're not the featherweight champ of all the cutthroat combat sports. 15 and pregnant again, but you'd convert your ring corner into a slaughterhouse before you'd inquire after human kindness. In the humdrum flare outside the clinic, you wait for a ride, feel the spill at the tipping point trickle down your inner thigh as you bask in the post-industrial particulate on your skin, ash into a jasmine pot's bituminous anchorage, so tacky it glows in a habitat that spent your body long before it finished growing. Lynn, they lied to you, don't you know? Your womb will be the first thing to heal. What you smell is pleasure, not the rot of the thing amid the waste. You will have babies. You will write poems about flowers that turn on in darkness. Wow. So good. I think along those same lines, I, I often like to share and I'll just I'll just say everyone should get the book and read um, Confession by Kiki Petrosino, mm-hmm. which is about uh, choosing not to have a child. Um, but in the spirit of uh, in the spirit of the leaked uh, document and the sort of precipice we're on right now, I'll share another poem along those lines. This one's called Self-Portrait as God with a Stillborn Inside. And it's by Chelsea Dingman. It's from her collection, Through a Small Ghost, which was published by UGA Press. Self-portrait as God with a stillborn inside. Here is the room that made you a saint. Here is the well, your body soon excavated from mine. A little voice, not yours, not divine. Here is the mother I might have been, the months of preparation the end of times, an era of false imprisonment. My water will break and flood you out. I'll wait for a sigh, the soft smack of your skull on bloody thighs. This captivity is my fault. I want to keep you longer. Let there be light. There is no bucket, no rope. This isn't nursery rhyme. Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. I have given warmth and water to the earth, the plants and birds, the dry seed of you trapped inside me. I have multiplied. I have given everything to liken myself to rhyme. Beware of the body lie, body quiet, the spirit body. Believe me, childbirth is war. 
Let the blade learn you. Let your throat soften against it. Let the rules of war not apply. Here, creation theory ends with a thrash, with thrashing, a drowning, a body pulled from the dark and soldered to the sky. This morning I made, keep it. Only one of us is lying. I'll be just fine. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Nancy. That was beautiful. And thank you also for choosing poems um, about abortion. Uh, and as we said, um, and I'm just going to put this call out there for people listening. I'd like to do a special episode, a panel mm -hmm. about writing motherhood and abortion. Mm -hmm. um, please send me uh, an email if that applies to you uh, at writermothermonster at gmail.com. Because as you both have said, this is a really, really vital issue. And it applies to motherhood. Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah. So from there, let's let's talk a little bit um, about let's switch gears and tell me who wants to start and tell me uh, a little bit about something that surprised you from the gaps that you filled in the anthology. So you've mentioned that it was important to fill gaps to get background from various perspectives. So tell me. Tell me somebody's story that surprised you and um, educated you or inspired you about motherhood that you hadn't previously considered. I wouldn't. OK, so this isn't that the story surprised me, but one of the things that we really were trying to think about um, as we were kind of like rounding out the collection, you know, we had collected all these poems that we loved. Um, we were starting to think about, you know, how to shape them into sections, how to think about the arc within each section. Um, and so one of the things that then we started to think about was also, um, as Emily mentioned earlier, like aesthetic variation. Mm -hmm. And we didn't want this necessarily to be a book that was all kind of um, straightforward um, sort of narrative poems about various aspects of, of mothering. Um, and so one of the poems, and Emily, you must have found this poem um, by Sun Young Shin. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's this like wild, long poem. <laughs> it's in these sections. The lines are long and just kind of run over. Um, and it really is this kind of surreal, like alternate. Um, it feels not quite like fantasy. How would you describe the landscape of it? There's I would like describe it as um, almost as uh, sci-fi or speculative. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's um, a series of, I'm flipping to it now, a series of short stories or propositions. Um, it starts, one by one, the children of the world underwent a metamorphosis, gates of ivory crushed to dust. And it keeps kind of getting like weirder and weirder from there in a way that I really enjoy. It's not at all like anything like the way that I write at the moment, mm -hmm. um, but it feels like entering this really odd world um that's also recognizable in some ways. And there's such um, pleasure in that, I think, in reading something that's really very, very different. Um, she read for us at our offsite reading in Philadelphia at AWP. And she just was such a good reader. And it was so fun to get to hear um, to get to hear this poem that is so wild um, and contributes such a different perspective than um, many of the other poems in the book. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Emily, what about you? Um, gosh, I would, I, you know, I don't, it's, it's kind of like, I, I, not that, 
I can't think of anything that was really a surprise. It was more it was more that all these different perspectives affirmed parts of me, like disparate, mm-hmm. really disparate parts of me, like the part of me that's like, no, I never want to have another kid or and the part of me that's like, God, maybe I shouldn't have had kids. Although kids, if you're listening to this, I love you. I'm glad I'm glad we I'm glad you're in my life. But I mean, there there are those parts of me that are reflected in poems in this book. And then there are the parts of me that are like so in love with my children. And then the parts of me that, um, you know, like Nancy said, like, think about the world in a new way, like as a dangerous place or as a beautiful place or um I, you know, I guess kind of along the lines of what Nancy just pointed out, um, an aesthetically sort of different poem. Sorry, I don't know how to work the camera is this one by Vanessa Angelica Villarreal um, that was in um, it was in Poetry Magazine. It was published there and you can find it online. It's called F equals Root Future. And so it's I mean, it's written um, like computer code in the sense of, you know, sort of a, if it's not an if then that's too simplified, but it, but it's, it's like an equation, um, but it's also dealing with time. It works on an X and Y axis. And so it's moving through ideas about time and generations and about culture and just, you know, my brain does not work that way. Uh, and so it's just, amazing like amazing to see this these ideas laid out in this visual logical way that also defies um just sort of the you know the captivity of these little boxes and really really transcends and makes a profound argument about uh genealogy and time and how like uh, we she's she's speaking to the generations of her family and to her son um really the matriarchy in her family and then her son how you know we have existed and will always exist and i just like that kind of thing is is just so stunning to me because it's just not how my brain operates did pulling together this collection um change your own writing at all that's a question for both of you what did you learn from the the poetry of the mothers you collected? I think what I learned and I, I've been I'm a book reviewer as well. And I I review a lot of kinds of books, but I really do have a have a soft spot for uh, motherhood and fatherhood poetry. Um, I think what I learned, again, was more of like a reaffirmation of of how important honesty is and that. Um, just the ability of all these writers to be so honest about about many things that, you know, are maybe no longer taboos, but have been taboos in pretty recent um, in pretty recent history, whether they're taboos even, you know, in casual conversation or whether they're just taboos in poetry like, oh, poetry isn't about you know, IVF machinery. Well, now it is, you know, so, um, so I think the fact that people are willing to, to say like, yes, this is, this is a topic for a poem and this is worth exploration in a poem, um, and are just going more and more and more into, um, into these, 
into these topics that we haven't seen before, that mm-hmm. is something that I've learned that I that I can translate to myself is like, what are what are the things that I've never written about because I haven't really understood or haven't let myself understand that that, too, could be poetry? love that answer. And I feel like that's something that really resonated. We had a panel this year at AWP, so from 2018 to 2022, which felt like a really nice kind of like full circle um, in terms of the book. I mean, hopefully not a closed circle. We're not done yet, but um, a spiral. But yeah, a spiral. Thank you for that image. Um, But it felt like a very different kind of conversation Mm -hmm. that we were having now. And one of the questions we did talk about is like, what are the things that are that are still taboo or that are Mm -hmm. still hard to talk about? Um, And that felt really useful um and i think for any anything that you i don't know i mean it's just to me it's been very affirming um both in writing my own book and then working on this book that kind of like anything that that you feel ashamed about or lonely about or whatever like there are other people out there who are also having that experience and um benefit from seeing it affirmed or even just acknowledged i think that's still really important um, and I think a lot of things about women's lives are so often um, so hidden away um, or said so like, oh, no, you shouldn't talk about that in public. You shouldn't talk about that in the poem. I would also say one thing that I learned from this book um, also just kind of on a craft level was about like shaping a manuscript. Like I love thinking about how books yeah, come yeah. together and what the arc is and like, why does the section start here and then there? And it was such a different project to be working with someone else's poems um, and so many different poems. Um, but I really loved that part of it, too, um, of thinking like, OK, what are our themes? How do we identify mm-hmm. themes? How do we group them? And then within each of the sections, how do we develop a little bit of an arc? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we really had to do, we have a the, the third out of the four sections is called In the World, um, which started out as a kind of catch all because we had a bunch of poems we loved and weren't quite sure how to talk about how they went together. Um, but they really are, I would say, about the experience of like being in the world as a caregiver and how that changes your relationship to like the natural world, the political world, all of those kinds of things. So it's a, it's kind of a wild section because it has some really beautiful poems, right? Like Amy Nazuka Machado mm-hmm. and uh, January Gill O'Neill and Carissa Mendiola about like being outdoors with their kids and things are wonderful and beautiful. And then we also have poems about like, um, gun violence and um, immigration um, and other kinds of things. And so one of the things we really had to think about with that section was that was the arc of it, like not wanting it to go too dark um, or wanting that to be balanced by lightness and joy as well. And I think that's something that's been really important to me in my work as well as like to really look for moments of joy and make sure to include them in the book um, because I need that. And I think that readers need that. Like everybody needs to be, um, that moment of looking for joy and kind of arcing towards that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I loved something that you said, um, Nancy, about some topics that are still sort of taboo mm-hmm. in writing um, generally, but also writing about mm-hmm. women, writing about mothers. What do you guys think is sort of the final frontier for writer moms? I would say there's no final frontier there are many frontiers um but what were we talking about on the panel nanny nancy we were talking about um we were talking about gender 
um, you know, even breaking away from the idea, the gendered idea of mother, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that that's, that's not something we, while we, while we have trans women mothers, um, in this book, we, there's, there's like a whole world of gender expansivity that we haven't touched on mm-hmm. in this book. And that's an area I, I have to say the episode of writer mother monster that I was listening to on the way into work today was your episode on, um, mothering, uh, trans and, um, and non-binary children. And mm-hmm. I have a non-binary child. And, and so to, you know, just what Nancy just said, like you're feeling alone in something yeah. and to see that experience, just to see that other people have had that experience is really, um, really powerful, especially at a time that you're first, you know, going through something that's not a norm, um, in society. Uh, so, um, so I think, yeah, gender, the way, the way, like exploration of gender and motherhood, I think is a whole frontier that I don't even know what that frontier looks like, but it's out there. Um, we were talking about also, um, also like adoption and, um, fostering and we have poems about adoption and fostering in there, but there's a lot, I think there's a, there, there's a lot more coming out in literature about adoption now. I still am not seeing much literature on fostering, um, mm-hmm. or poetry about it. And mm-hmm. so I think that's a whole world that still yeah. needs to be explored. Um, what that experience is for a child, what that experience is for a family. Yeah. Um, what else, Nancy? No, I think that's great. I mean, there's really great, um, certainly there's really great prose writing on mm-hmm. adoption and on, on being adopted specifically. Um, and a lot of those writers, I think Nicole Chung is an obvious one, mm-hmm. um, have really challenged the kind of like adoption is wonderful. You're mm-hmm. saving a child's life narrative that I think, and I think that work is really important. And I agree that that, um, there's a need for more of that in poetry. And certainly we have adoptive parents in the book who I think are very smart and very thoughtful about how they talk about what they're doing in adoption. Um, uh, I will say also one of the things that really struck me in the panel, um, Felita Hicks talked mm-hmm. about um, what is it, what like when people ask them, like, are, or do you have kids? Are you a mother? Um, and they were saying like, well, um, and the poem, the poem of um, Felita's that we have in the book is about giving birth to a, to a child. Um, you know, you're going to give up for adoption. Um, and so on the one hand, you know, they're not mothering that child day to day, though they do have a relationship with that child and with their parents. Um, but then Felita's has also taken up. She shared a lot of caregiving of um, other kids in her family um, in, their, in their family In their family. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you for correcting me. Um, and so then what is it like to, yeah, like, what is that? I don't know. What is the identity of mother, right? Like how yeah. um, are, are we, are we mothering? Are we doing that? And, and really all of those complicated um, mm-hmm. kinds of family and caregiving relationships that um, people find their way into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that you said that we're the word complicated, that, that in your book and hopefully on this podcast too, we're complicating mm-hmm. The definition of mother, right? And, yeah. and what, um, and the, the definition of a mother's experience as well. Like mm-hmm. Emily, to your point much earlier, that a lot of the literature that exists out there is very much, um, you know, the white middle class, um, 
healthy mm-hmm. woman who wanted children and becomes a mother and and mm-hmm. and struggles with motherhood in that sense. But there's a wide range of other experiences mm-hmm. out there. So. Yeah, thank you for shedding light on those experiences. And I think we have a few more minutes. So why don't we and why don't you read us out with maybe another poem each, if you'd like, either sure. your own work or from the collection, whatever you feel inspired to read. Let's each read one of our own. We each also okay. have a new we each also have a new book out of our own, which is just like the wild timing of this thing. Um, yeah. you, know, you work on books for a long yeah. time. And it all It all happens at once. Um, no, you're mother poets as well. So please include your own work in this conversation. You want to start, Nancy? I certainly should be able to. My goodness. I should have prepped you in advance, too. It's not an unexpected question. Well, no, but while you guys are looking, I'll share with um, with the audience. And hopefully if you're listening, maybe you'll go to the video and take a look because I'm currently in my daughter's bedroom and I'll kind of like scan <laughs> the room and, yeah, and yeah. the wall with um, weird wallpaper and everything because I'm raising, as I said two weeks ago um, in the episode, I'm raising chickens in my study, which is my also my recording studio and they were too loud now for this episode. So I didn't oh. want chicken noises in the background. Um, they'll be going outside soon and I'll, I'll be back in my studio, but for now, <laughs> for now, we're all, uh, and with each other here. So Nancy, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Finally. So I will, I will read a poem that came out of taking, um, a, um, a version of this manuscript to a manuscript conference, um, you know, that I traveled to go to and I'd worked really hard for, and I was excited to be there and I prepared all my poems and um, as I was sitting there in this like lovely bed and breakfast, with these other people at the conference, um, you know, we passed around our, our work and it was a sample of the selection and uh, my collection came up for discussion. And, um, you know, people said a couple little things. And then the one man in the room, the one um, said, oh, well, you know, I just think these kind of poems are kind of sentimental. Um, I was like, are they? But it's like, you know, he immediately turned the conversation like there were babies in those poems and therefore they are sentimental. Um, and I was super mad and went outside later and like called my best friend and we talked about it. Um, but I also wrote this, um, wrote this poem out of that. Um, yeah, I'll read that. My sentimental baby. When I say the new baby's breath is milk sweet, Please know I'm also speaking of my swollen lumpen tits, the spit and lanolin, the leaking milk that's dried around the aureola, the ducks, the milk shot through to where it meets the baby's flanged lips. Know that breast milk is made of blood. Inside my breast, the alveoli branch from milk duds, milk ducks, like buds too tightly furled to blossom. But with a good deep latch, my nipple stretched until it's pressed against the soft palate in the back of the baby's mouth. His toothless gums compress the whole breast, and he swallows. When I can't stop huffing the baby's head, the spongy scalp and fontanelle, the flaking cradle cap, I'm smelling the inside of my own body the uterus and call and amniotic fluid, the birth canal he traveled. When I'm falling in mammal love with this new creature, maybe I'll catch some of that love too. 
If the words I use to tell you how I love the silken, loose-boned heft of this baby sleeping on my chest feel processed or less than fresh, I'll tell you this. I built this baby in my body from nearly nothing and nursed him with the milk my body made. I'll use the words and tools I have at hand. Love Thank that you, piece, Nancy. Nancy. It's beautiful. And as I put in the little chat there, that's <laughs> that guy. There's <laughs> nobody talking about. And yeah. sentimental is the enemy of women writers everywhere. I think mm-hmm. we talked about that on this show before. Yes. Like writing about domesticity, about the children, misogyny. About yes. Of the, the sentimental the critique. It's so lazy, too. It's such a lazy, it's such a lazy critique. Oh, totally. It's like, what bothers you about this, this subject, sir? Yeah. Maybe you should. Well, there's tits in it, but they're not, like, sexy. Like, that's the problem, right? (laughs) That's probably what it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Emily, I'm going to spotlight you and go for it. Well, I should have had uh, Nancy with me to uh, insert some joy into my, into my book. It's pretty dark. Um. It's called What Flies Want, uh, and it deals a lot with mental health issues and um, gender and violence. Like, how do we learn violence? Um, I wrote a lot of these poems uh, several years ago and thinking about how my children were learning about violence. Um, we live in Colorado, very close to several prominent national uh, mass shootings, and um, this poem is called Lockdown First Grade. And it's a found poem in the words of my oldest child. Lockdown First Grade. Mom, we had to hide. Mom, it was a game. It wasn't like a normal game. The man outside was hunting. The man outside was seeking. The teacher turned out all the lights. And we did hugs and bubbles. Hugs around ourselves and bubbles in our mouths. We could not let them pop. We did not make a peep. We curled up just like this in balls beside the cubbies. We were chickens in a nest. No, we were babies in their eggs. We watched the crack under the door to see his feet. We listened for his legs to walk. And when we heard, we held our breath. We held it for a long time. It wasn't like the last time. The teacher told us if we won, we'd get a prize, we'd celebrate. But she forgot, and we just got to breathe. Thank you. Thanks. As anyone who watches or listens to the show knows, at some point in almost every episode, I start crying, and that was the point in this episode. <laughs> I'm so honored. <laughs> oh, totally. No, I have a kindergartner, and she came home the first time they had an active shooter drill and told me mm-hmm. about it, and it was very similar. So, mm-hmm. you know, as 
you both were saying earlier, what scares you or what shames you or what mm-hmm. resonates with you will resonate with others. And mm-hmm. yes, I felt that poem very deeply. So <laughs> thank you. I would say I appreciate that also. There were so many moments and I think it was in part also just the energy of being together at our AWP events at the panel and the offsite where people were just crying and it was amazing mm-hmm. like, to be in this space of people to be together. First of all, like that's such a special thing um, to get to be together and then to get to hear people reading these poems that I had read and loved for so long and to get to be experiencing. I mean, I think I just cried all through our reading and not even all the poems like um, like Ramika Bingham for sure. Several of her poems are actually very funny, yeah. um, which I don't think I had fully realized until I heard her read them out loud. I was crying anyway. And it was just amazing to be in that space. We're like, oh, everybody kind of gets it. Like, you know, we're just experiencing this very deeply together. It's lovely. We're sentimental, Nancy. What can we do? I know, right? I'm just like, yeah. Crying is healthy, right? It is. is. Yeah, I like. I like to think so. If anyone feels otherwise, just don't tell me. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you both so much again for joining me. This was just such a pleasure to have you um, on and to talk about your collection and your own work. And the work you're doing is so important and necessary. So thank you. Thank Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, it's such an amazing podcast, and I appreciate the work you do to bring to bring all these people into conversation. Absolutely. And um, stick around for a second afterward. I'll say goodbye. Um, but thank you so much to you both. Thank you, Laura. And, uh, yeah, and thank you all for joining us tonight as I blow up the face here with all of my tears. Um, it was such a pleasure. Um, if you enjoyed the episode as much as I did, please consider becoming a patron or patroness. And I want to thank the University of Georgia Press again for their sponsorship of this episode. Um, The sponsorship and support of listeners like you is what makes this possible. So thank you all. Um, Hopefully next week I'll be back in my office without chickens um, making lots of noise behind me. And I look forward to seeing you all next week. Until then, have a great night.